0: Hello, everybody, welcome back to that 70s card show. I am your host, John Keating, and we are here to talk about the cards and the culture of the very colorful 1970s. That 70s card show is currently sponsored by nobody. If you'd like to reach out to me, I can be uh, found on Twitter at 70scard. Uh, email would be that 70 show at gmail.com. I am on YouTube that 70s card show, and of course, uh, podcast platforms almost everywhere. This is episode 28, and we are going to talk about the 73-74 Topps hockey set. I know, I know, hockey gets everybody jazzed up. Um, Perhaps not. Uh, I am not a big hockey guy, as I've stated in the past, but it's fun to learn about stuff. We're going to have some dad facts. We're going to have some hockey facts and we're going to have some deep dive into the 73-74 top set with some visuals if you are watching along on YouTube. So this is my last episode on the road for a while. I should be home uh, by the end of this week, somewhere in November. Been a long grind, about a month grind, between Vegas and Los Angeles and cannot wait to get home. I'm exhausted uh, logistically doing uh, my job. Attending school online and uh, having a podcast and feeding a very nasty sports card uh, habit, it it does take its toll. So I cannot wait to be home in my own bed with my wife, my dog, and um, get to see my two young sons um, who are actually (laughs) both adults, but whatevs. Uh, Next week, I just want to remind everybody that uh, we will be having uh, a monster mailzilla review of the cards that i've purchased over the past four weeks that have landed in my mailbox that i have not yet seen so we will uh, jump into those cannot wait to actually touch them and tell the stories behind the whys and the hows of purchasing those um maybe even a midweek um uh, Roadkill episode part two. I did one last week. Roadkill one, where I went to Burbank Sports Cards, met Rob Varis, uh, met some of his staff, and uh, I, you know, they don't know me from Adam. I'm just a guy who comes in with a big forehead, and truly, uh, very nice people they are. Uh, as they are as advertised particularly Rob I got to chat with Rob for about five ten minutes very busy man his main concern was making sure his staff was fed he kept yelling out who's on lunch who's on lunch which I think that shows the human aspect of what Rob does Um, the commerce side is uh, well documented both online and uh, his shop his shop is top, top notch loved it so truly enjoyed that um and again that was on roadkill one i picked up some stuff getting close to some finishing some of my early 70s sets that have holes in them so again we are in los angeles california i'm downtown i am um a stone throw away from staples center the jw Merritt. it's actually over my right shoulder Uh, basketball game going on right now apparently a a, a big uh, day game don't know who they're playing those lakers but somebody's playing out there it's 90 degrees outside and it's 45 degrees back home in Philadelphia. So it is uh, it is uh, challenging for me to walk around outside um, when it is twice as warm as it would be back home. I'm, I'm accustomed to cold, colder weather. But since it is 45 degrees back home and since there was a monster blizzard in uh, much of the upper central part of the United States and it always snows in Canada even in July as far as um, what I want to believe – Uh, It's time we talk about hockey. But before we dive in there, let's bring back some dad facts. Now, I have a whole bunch of dad facts here. Uh, It's been a while. Uh, 1973 was a very busy year in the world. Planes were falling out of the sky on their own or with the aid of human beings. Um, There was a massive amount of unrest in Northern Ireland. And, of course, uh, Watergate was rocking and rolling and... um, I'm going to try to skip all that in the dad facts, okay? Because there's just too much to talk about. Let's just say I'm glad I'm a frequent flyer now uh, than I was uh, in the early 70s. It would be tough right now getting on a plane. So let's go January 14th, 1973. Elvis Presley's concert in Hawaii is the first worldwide telecast by an entertainer that is watched by more people than watched the Apollo moon landings. Pretty impressive, Elvis. That was a great concert. Um... Even for me to enjoy big fan uh American football, the Miami Dolphins complete the first and only perfect season in national football g- history by defeating the washington Redskins that's nFL league history by defeating the washington Redskins fourteen to seven in Super Bowl seven in Los Angeles at the Memorial Coliseum, still standing in the Coliseum home of the u s c trojans January seventeenth uh Fernanand Fern- Ferdinand Marcos becomes president for life of the Philippines, probably the second um, uh, most well-known foot fetishist in the world behind uh, Rex Ryan. Uh, January 20th, Richard Nixon is sworn in for a second second term as president of the United States, and this makes the first and to date only person who has been sworn into both the vice presidency and the presidency twice each. Richard, of course... Uh, will during his second um, term, we'll, we'll say, hold my beer and uh, kind of blow things up. January 22nd, Roe v. Wade, U.S. Supreme Court overturned state bans on abortion. Uh, I don't bring that up for other than any other reason other than it was a very busy day. You'll see George Foreman defeats Joe Frazier to win the heavyweight world boxing championship. Um, And former U.S. President Lyndon Baines Johnson dies at his Stonewall, Texas ranch, uh, which leaves no former living U.S. presidents until the resignation of Richard Nixon in 1974. And most importantly, uh, John Keating celebrates his fifth birthday, which is his last as a resident of the city of Philadelphia. And in further John Keating news, uh, the rock band KISS on January 30th plays its first concert for an audience of fewer than 10 people at the Popcorn Pub in Queens, New York. Now, I have my opinions about KISS these days, but uh, when I was 10 years old, KISS was the bomb, and that's the reason uh, I chose to do what I do for a living. So, yay, KISS. Uh, February 6th, uh, in Toronto, construction of the CN Tower begins. Beautiful building. Uh, February 12th, Ohio becomes the first state in the United States, to post distance in metric on signs. So, for those of you that are probably too young to remember, which is nobody listens to this podcast, uh, we were going to hit the metric, John, pretty hard back then in the early 70s. It never happened, but Ohio tried, apparently. Uh, March 12th, the last uh, episode of the original Laugh In airs on NBC. Parents love that show for sure. Uh, March 26th, The Young and Restless, and the $10,000 Pyramid debut on CBS. March 27th, at the 45th Academy Awards, The Godfather wins Best Picture of 1972. And March 29th, The Last United States Soldier Leaves Vietnam. Um, Boy, what a hairy time that was back then in the early 70s, huh? April 3rd, the first handheld mobile phone call is made by Martin Cooper of Motorola in New York City. Talk about um, unleashing hell on the world. I guess uh, the mobile phone uh, has done that more than any other device, I would think. Uh, April 6th, Ron Bloomberg of the New York Yankees becomes the first designated hitter in Major League Baseball. April 8th, uh, Pablo Picasso dies at his home in France. I have a listener in France, Viva la France. April 17th, FedEx officially begins operations as Federal Express with the launch of 14 small aircraft from Memphis International Airport. On that night, FedEx Express or Federal Express delivers 186 packages to 25 US cities from Rochester, New York to Miami, Florida. May 3rd, the Sears Tower Tower in Chicago is topped off, becoming the world's tallest building at 1,451 feet. I think it's the Willis Tower now. What are you talking about? Uh, May 5th, Secretariat wins the Kentucky Derby in a dramatic come-from-behind victory and sets a new and still-existing Derby record of 1 minute 59 and 2 fifth second. Led Zeppelin plays before 56,800 persons at Tampa Stadium on the band's 1973 North American tour, thus breaking the August 15th, 1965 record of 56,000 set by the Beatles at Shea Stadium. Uh, all but 800 of those people uh, left during the uh, Led Zeppelin's rendition of Four Sticks, two songs into the set. I'm lying. May 14th, Skylab, Uh, the United States' first space station is launched. May 17th, here we go, Watergate, Uh, the televised hearings begin in the United States Senate. All right, May 19th, back to Secretariat. Secretariat wins the Preakness Stakes by two and a half lengths over an amazingly quick second place sham. A malfunction at the track's timing equipment prevented a confirmed new track record. On May 30th, Gordon Johncock wins the Indianapolis... 500. June 4th, the United States patent for the DocuTel automated teller machine is granted to Donald Wetzel, Tom Barnes, and George Chastain. So your ATMs are not launched, but they are uh, patented on June 4th. Uh, back in the day, we used to have to get our money on Friday that was going to hold everybody over till Monday. But thanks to these chaps, Don't have to worry about that anymore, and we're essentially a cashless society now. All right, back to Secretariat news. Secretariat wins the Belmont Stakes on June 9th, shattering the record by an unbelievable two and three-fifths seconds, becoming the first triple crown of thoroughbred racing winner since 1948. Obviously, Secretariat was a stud in many ways, both on and off the uh, track, so um, a lot of great athletes in the 70s, and Secretariat being a, an equine was certainly one of them. But back to Watergate news, on June 22nd, W. Mark Felt, also known as Deep Throat, retires from the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I promised I wouldn't get into this, but somehow I am. July 1st, the United States Drug Enforcement Administration is founded, July 2nd, the United States Congress passes the Education of Handicapped Act, the EHA, a EHA, mandating special education federally, which is awesome. Uh, July 20th, Bruce Lee, American actor, philosopher, and founder of Jeet Kune Do, dies in Hong Kong of a cerebral edema. Six days after his final film, Enter the Dragon, is released. July 28th, the summer Jam at Watkins Glen was a massive rock festival featuring the Grateful Dead, the Allman Brothers, and the band, and it attracted over 600,000 music fans and one bar of soap. September 20th, the Battle of Sexes. Billie Jean King defeats Bobby Riggs in a televised tennis match 646463 at the Astrodome in Houston, Texas. With an attend- attendance of 30,492, this remains the largest live ever audience ever to see a tennis match in U.S. history. The global audience that views on television in 36 countries is estimated at 90 million human beings. Singer songwriter Jim Croce dies following a gig at Northwestern State University in Louisiana, uh, having boarded a small chartered plane that crashes on takeoff. All six people are killed. And also on September 30th, Willie Mays announces his retirement. Of course, at that point, he is at New York Met. And he will have uh, exactly one baseball card to follow in the 74 season, featuring his work in the World Series. September 23rd in American football, the Oakland Raiders defeat the Miami Dolphins 12-7, ending the Dolphins' unbeaten streak at 18. It is the Dolphins' first loss since January 16, 1972, in Super Bowl VI. Pretty amazing run. September 30th Yankee Stadium known as the House of Ruth built closes for a 2-year renovation at a cost of 160 million US dollars. The New York Yankees play all of their home games at Shea Stadium in 74 and 75. Of course, the big one of the big features there is getting rid of all the pillars and columns and all that stuff that that um, obstructed views, a little bit I think they moved monument park to behind fences and stuff like that changed dimensions. On October 5th, Elton John releases his most successful album, which is Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. And on October 17th, an OPEC oil embargo against several countries supporting Israel triggers the 1973 energy crisis. Uh, October 20th, more Watergate news. The Saturday Night Massacre. Richard Nixon orders Attorney General Elliot Richardson to dismiss Watergate Special Prosecutor Archibald Cox. Richardson refuses and resigns, along with Deputy Attorney General William Ruckel's house, Solicitor General Robert Bork, third in line at the Department of Justice. He then fires Cox, and the event raises calls for Nixon's impeachment. But on a lighter note, on October 20th, 1973, the Sydney Opera House is opened by Elizabeth II after 14 years of construction work. Wow, that's a long time. Beautiful building, though, right? October 21st, the greatest dynasty of the 70s, the Oakland Athletics, defeat the New York Mets 5-2, to win the World Series four games to three. October 30th, the Bosphorus Bridge in Istanbul, Turkey is completed connecting the continents of Europe and Asia over the Bosphorus for the first time in history. Land, you could drive a car from Europe to Asia over the Bosphorus Straits, which is pretty damn cool. Uh, December 3rd, uh, the Pioneer 10 program sends back the first close-up images of Jupiter. And December 16th, uh, Orenthal James Simpson of the Buffalo Bills becomes the first running back to rush for 2,000 yards in a Pro football season. So that's that. That's the that's the year of news. A little bit of sports sprinkled in. Let's talk about entertainment. Your number one box office grossing film in 1973 was The Exorcist, uh, $88,500,000. That's considered a good opening weekend now. Uh, the Sting was number two at $79 million, American Graffiti, Papillon, The Way We Were. Magnum Force, Last Tango in Paris, Paper Moon, Live and Let Die, and The Devil and Miss Jones, oh boy, are your top 10 movies of 1973, grossing-wise. Um, so The Exorcist did pretty good in the Golden, Golden Globes and all that stuff, but The Sting uh, is what won the Academy Award in 1974. Um, best Film, Best Director, Jack Lemmon won for Save the Tiger, uh, yeah, so the Academy Awards were vastly different than the um, what are now considered indicators, the Golden Globes and such. So, TV debuts: January sixth, uh, Schoolhouse Rock debuts and would begin a what looks like a 36-year run on ABC. Uh, January 28th was Barnaby Jones debut on CBS, Police Story on NBC, again Young and Restless, and Ten Thousand Dollar Pyramid both on the same day. In March, The Tomorrow Show don't know why that's in there and of course kojak debuted on october 24th on cbs and would run for five years plus uh ill-fated return sometime in the 80s top rated television shows of 73 were all in the family the waltons sanford and son mash and hawaii 50 pretty close there, top five hard to argue with any of them right record of the year um yeah, was I honestly love you by Olivia Newton-John. And album of the year was Fulfilling This First Finale by Stevie Wonder. Song of the year, The Way We Were by Barbara Streisand, written by Mar- Marvin Marvin Hamish. And best new artist was Marvin Hamish, which uh, it's interesting because he's a typically he's a composer. Uh, Top selling album at the time was uh, The World Is a Ghetto by War, but. Uh, let's talk about this bad boy right here. Uh, March 1st, 1973 was the release of Dark Side of the Moon, which re- was recorded at Abbey Road Studios. Uh, not quite produced, but engineered by Alan Parsons, who would go on to do the Alan Parsons project. Dark Side of the Moon is among the most critically acclaimed records in history, often featured on professional listings of the greatest albums of all time. The record, label, the record helped propel Pink Floyd to international flame, f- fame, bringing wealth and recognition to all four members. Um, been certified 14 times platinum in the United Kingdom, 958 weeks on the billboard top LP and tape charts, uh, estimated 45 million copies sold worldwide. Blah, 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 blah. It is the, um, fourth best Pink Floyd album of the seventies, but that's, um, uh, there aren't any bands that made a better album than than Dark Side of the Moon. Pink Floyd ruled the '70s. This is not open up. This is not open for argument. Okay, so let's talk about uh, hockey then. Let's get on to the hockey. Okay, men with skates and sticks. Um, the '73-'74 NHL season was the. I want to say it's the 57th. It was the 57th um, hockey season. And remember, much of that was um, played by, I guess it's the original six, uh, other teams floating in and out. Uh, The Flyers won the Stanley Cup, which was the team's first and was also the first of the post-1967 teams to win the Cup. We had just moved from um, the city to the suburbs, and I remember our parents driving us in after the Cup uh, was won that year. And... Uh, riots ensued, and it was pretty, I still vividly remember all that stuff. Um, also in the 73-74 season, uh, Charlie O. Finley, the owner of the Oakland A's, and the California Golden Seals failed to find a buyer for the Seals, so the league took over operations. So we had an Eastern Division and a Western Division in 73-74. Uh, Eastern Division winner uh, was the Boston Bruins, uh, the Canadians, Bruins had 113 points. Canadians, 99. New York Rangers, 94. The Maple Leafs, 86. The Sabres, 76. The Red Wings, 68. The Canucks, 59. And the Islanders, 56. So you talk about the original six there. We had the Bruins, Canadians, Maple Leafs, and Red Wings in uh, that one division. Five teams, Bruins, Canadians, Rangers, Maple Leafs, and Red Wings. So they kind of got bunched up there, right? It reminds me of what they did in the uh, NFL with the Steelers moving over to the AFL and the Colts moving over to the AFL. Uh, Over there in the Western Division, the Philadelphia Flyers, of course they're in the Western Division because the Vancouver Canucks were in the Eastern Division, and it's just just the way it has to be. So the Flyers uh, had 112 points, which was one behind the East-leading Boston Bruins. So the Flyers, 112 points, Blackhawks in second with 105, Kings of Los Angeles, 78, Atlanta Flames, 74, Pittsburgh Penguins, 65, the St. Louis Blues, 64, the Minnesota North Stars 63, and those California Golden Seals had 36 points, which was 20 points fewer than the next best team above them. I am going to put on my glasses here because uh, I have some NHL awards that I need to read. Um... Prince of Wales trophy, regular season champ obviously was the Bruins uh, because they uh, had one more point than the Flyers. Uh, well, I guess the Clarence Campbell Bowl went to the Western Division champion, which was the Flyers. Um, top scorer of the league uh, was Phil Esposito, uh, best sportsmanship, which was the Bell, Bill Masterson Memorial Trophy at Masterton Memorial Trophy, went to Henri Richard, uh, Calder, Top rookie, I guess, Dennis Podvin. Conn Smythe went to Bernie Perrant as your most valuable player of the playoffs. Most valuable player of the regular season was Phil Esposito. That's the Hart Trophy. The Jack Adams Award for Best Coach went to Freddie Shiro of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Best Defenseman, which is your NARS Trophy, Bobby Orr. Lady Bing, Excellence and Sportsmanship went to Johnny Boychik. I think that's how you spell his name. Lester B. Pearson Award, Outstanding Player, Regular Season. Again, Phil Esposito. I don't know why there's an outstanding player and a most valuable player, but um, more hardware for Phil. The v- The Vesna Trophy went to uh, both Tony Esposito and Bernie Perron. I guess they had the uh, goaltender of team with the best goaltending record. And the Patrick Trophy, named after Lester Patrick, Uh, which is the service to hockey in the United States, went to Alex Dalvecchio, Mary Murdoch, Weston W. Adams Sr., and Charles L. Crovat. Uh, Your all-star teams. Oh, boy. So um, all-star teams were Bernie Perrant from the Flyers, uh, Bobby Orr, Brad Park, Phil Esposito, Ken Hodge, and Rick Martin. Not the Ricky Martin, but another Rick Martin. So that's your all-star teams. It makes no sense to me because it's different divisions. But that's Wikipedia for you. Uh, Playoffs. We had the um, Flyers beating the Hawks. The Hawks. Is that right? The Flames, the Atlanta Flames. So we had the Flyers beating the Flames four games to nil. The Rangers beating the Canadiens four games to two. Uh, we had Boston beating the Maple Leafs four games to nil, and Chicago Blackhawks beating the Los Angeles Kings four games to one. And Boston beat Chicago four to two in the semis, Philly beating the Rangers four to three, and of course, Philly winning it all four to two. A uh, couple of players that made their debut in 73 74 were Bob Ganey of the Montreal Canadiens, Dennis Potvin of the New York Islanders. Uh, Borge Salming of the Toronto Maple Leafs and Lanny McDonald of also of the Maple Leafs at the time. These were all, uh, would eventually make the hall of fame all for them. Uh, players that played their last game in the 73, 74 season, uh, Tim Horton of the Buffalo Sabres, a hall of famer, uh, obviously known for his donut empire, which still thrives and exists today. The guy was quite a, um, Quite an entrepreneur, and he played 25 seasons in the NHL, four-time cup winner, but uh, he also died at the age of 44. in a He was driving a Pantera from Toronto to Buffalo, and alcohol was involved, and speed was involved, so a guy who had looked like he had his life together all around uh, and looked like a, he was set for life uh, with his burgeoning empire, all gone. Uh, because of his stupid decision that he'd probably gotten away with many times before. Uh, Again, Alex Dalvecchio was mentioned earlier, Red Wings Hall of Famer, 24-year Red Wing, and a three-time Cup winner. Uh, Gump Worsley. Now, Gump Worsley looked uh, exactly like he's named, so if you look up Gump Worsley, uh, the picture does say a thousand words. He was a Minnesota North Star when he retired, a Hall of Famer, and a four-time Stanley Cup winner. Frank Mahalovich, Mahav... Frank Mohavlich, uh, Montreal Canadiens Hall of Famer, a six-time cup winner. Uh, Jacques Leprier, I believe, is from the Montreal Canadiens Hall of Fame and a five-time cup winner. And Barry Ashby from the Flyers um, got hit in the eye with a wayward slap shot in the playoffs on the uh, Stanley Cup run by the Flyers. Uh, Lost, I think it says, 85% of his eyesight in his right eye. Uh, So obviously he was done. Hockey... Playing, he ended up uh, becoming a coach, and his name was on the Stanley Cup a couple times. As I guess, a player for seventy three, seventy four, and a coach seventy four, seventy five. Unfortunately, uh, died from leukemia in nineteen seventy seven. Which uh, talk about a, a series of bad breaks. Uh, Barry Ashby. Uh, the draft that year was held May fifteenth in nineteen seventy three at the Mont Royal Hotel in Montreal, Quebec. Dennis Potvin was your top. Potvin was your number one overall pick. Um, and he was drafted by the Islanders, of course. Atlanta Flames uh, picked Tom Lysiak, and Dennis Vervegaard was picked by the Canucks third. Now, 13 rounds from what I gather, not symmetrical rounds, but 13 rounds of drafting, and there was only three future All-Stars picked after that first round. Now, the first round featured Hall of Famers Dennis Popvin, Lanny McDonald, and Bob Gainey and a a slew of All-Stars. In fact, there's more All-Stars than than non-All-Stars that were picked in the first round. So uh, I guess they knew what they were doing there in hockey. They picked them all early and often. Uh, After that, it was just players were kind of dust. Uh, January 29, 1974 was the All-Star game for the NHL for the 73-74 season, and that was held at Chicago Stadium. 16,426 attended. Gary Unger was your MVP from the St. Louis Bleu, and it was the second time the All-Star Game was held in Chicago, and I believe the West Division won 6-4. Again, Gary Unger, your most valuable player. All right, let's talk some sports cards now, okay? 73-74 tops. We're going to bring up some visuals for those at home on the YouTube's uh, second straight year that tops increased the number of cards in its hockey set, 198 cards at all. It was the largest hockey set yet issued for the tops brand uh, front of the cards have a distinguished, let me see here colors of uh, red, yellow, blue, green, and, uh, First six cards feature the league leaders in different statistical categories. The final eight cards recap the playoffs and the Stanley Cup champions of the previous year. All-star players are noted on their base cards by a different design that features a shield. Team picture cards run alphabetically by city name uh, and they are cards 92 through 107. Also, there is one checklist in this set, and due to the way the printing sheet was laid out, there are 66 cards in the set that are double printed. Uh, Back contains the player's 72-73 season record, career numbers, a short biography, and a um, cartoon illustrating a fact about the player. I'll get to the backs in a second. There's also another interesting thing, or two interesting things I found there. Uh, There's about 37 of the cards are landscape uh, cards, um, some players, all the teams are landscape, and most of the postseason cards, as well as obviously the league leaders are landscape. A lot of action shots, a lot of studio backdrop shots, some proof-of-life shots thrown in there. Uh, listen, this set was uh, essentially filled with drunk uncles and a bunch of stone cousins thrown in, so uh, this looks like a set produced for a... Um, 40 and over league of hockey players. I'm not questioning the abilities or the toughness of these guys, but it truly looks like a different generation of uh human beings altogether. Uh I'm not I'm not sure what it explains what explains it, but you know, man, these guys were these guys were rough. Again, the subsets were the league leaders uh 1 through 6, which is uh goals, assists, scoring. Points total, right? Goals against for the goalie tenders. Penalty minutes, which uh, NHL loved to promote that, didn't they? And power play goals. Okay. All-stars sprinkled in. I think there's 12 total, so six from each conference. Again, a team cards, 92 through 107, have team and player records on the back. Golden Seals, I believe, just played had one season's worth of records on there. 191 198 uh, randomized postseason highlights, with 198 being the Canadian's champs card. Again, checklist 116, only one of them. Uh, Let's go back to some of the uh, how we distributed these cards to the public Uh, in the US at least. The wax, wax boxes of the 73 74. Topps Hockey held 24 packs, but there were some 36-count boxes produced as well. Packs were still a dime and contained 10 cards plus a sticker sticker insert that features the team names and logos. Interestingly enough, the stickers have a team logo and an entirely different team's name. So uh, you got two teams for the price of one sticker. Um, I found it interesting. I figured it would be the Atlanta Flames would also have the Atlanta Flames logo, and the Atlanta Flames name sticker on the same card, but somebody at Topps felt otherwise. The wrappers included offers for Top Sports Card Locker, that would be ubiquitous throughout the 70s in different sports, Uh, an NHL-themed bulletin board, a set of 16 plastic team emblems, and a player-slash-team photo album. Uh supposedly there were no cello packs but there's been known to be some rack uh some rack packs which would have been 54 cards per pack 39 cents uh for those 54 cards which is uh obviously a better bargain than 10 for 10 cents uh yeah so moving on here let's uh dissect the fronts a little bit the fronts are uh like i said a lot of um post shots a lot of action shots and some um you know proof of life shots as well the the borders are kind of like a deckle edge border inside so the the picture itself is kind of deckled inside of a hard border surrounding different colors uh league leader heart, uh landscape cards again the all star cards are pretty cool uh depicting the players inside of a shield uh team cards for the most part are those classic uh classic uh team on ice Center ice shots, which are great. Hockey hockey was really good at doing that. And the playoff cards were pretty cool too. I have a shot of a really cool playoff card there on the screen. Uh, the backs, um, you know, the leaders have the, uh, the, the different division leaders just listed on the back, kind of like what they would do with baseball. Uh, Atlanta Flames had one year of records, and, whereas the Boston Bruins had many, many years of records in there. The back of the card itself was kind of that – uh, orange that we wouldn't see, I think, I guess, until 1978 in baseball. I'll blow up one of those. You can see I brought up Mickey Redmond's card right there. And um, just seasonal stats, just one year, not even career totals on there. So a big old hockey stick, which separates the vital statistics from a little bit of a biography. Uh, normal stuff, home, which is kind of cool when, you, when you're looking at these Canadian players, seeing where their home is. Uh, you know, all the way back over here in the United States, it was uh, – Kind of neat to, to see some of the geographical locations these folks came from. Their birth date, uh, how they shoot, their height, uh, their weight, and their first pro season is listed on there. One interesting thing I found on the back of this card, right under the cartoon, on every card is a watch NHL hockey on NBC TV. Kind of like a little reminder that um, we're going to do some going to do some hockey watching there on whatever day of the week that was on. So, uh, yeah. Copyright Tops Chewing Company or uh, TCG, printed in USA. Uh, there's something else I saw on the back of these. If you could see the some of these cards that aren't the player cards, but the team cards and the leader leader cards, uh, the card, the number in the set is in a box on the player cards, but it looks like home plate in these other cards, like the team cards and the league leader cards. Like, why would they use a uh, a pentagon? That is shaped exactly like home plate. I'm not quite understanding why that happened. But anyway, maybe somebody slipped that in, maybe they didn't. So uh, 198 cards in this bad boy. There is a, um, I guess we can go on to the uh, rookies, right? So the, the rookie cards that year, the big rookie cards that year were uh, Billy Smith, who would play for the, uh, be a star and a stud for the championship. New York Islander teams later in the decade. Dave the Hammer Schultz, uh, an enforcer there, and Billy Barber, both from the Flyers. Um, Billy Barber is uh, considered by many to be the greatest Flyer ever. A lot of people find him to be uh, over Bobby Clark, consider him uh, much more appealing. I don't know why. Nothing wrong with Bobby Clark either, right? Uh, But those were the rookie cards, the... um, as you can see, the Billy Smith one goes from 15 to $25, depending on condition. Dave Schultz one goes from 6 to 12 I think. And the Billy Barber one goes from 6 to $10. So that's your top three rookies. Falls off a cliff right after that, um, right after those guys. Uh, your top five cards overall are um, going to be your uh, Ken Dryden, which is a 25 to $40 card. Uh, Bobby Orr, 18 to $30, depending on condition, obviously. That that rookie uh, Billy Smith card, 15 to 25 again. The checklist comes in at number four, 12 to $10. Uh, again, there's only one of them, and considering what we used to do to the checklists, uh, the abuse levied upon checklist by ballpoint pens was uh, surely a, a tragedy of the, the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And uh, Guy Lafleur, which is a double print, uh actually comes in fifth at 750 to 15. No doubt that he would have his card would have been a lot more valuable had it not been a double print um possibly uh overtaking many of those on that list. Uh so that's the top five there, right? Um let's talk about the Beckett OPG um current Beckett OPG values here. So total value of this set for the hundred ninety eight cards is three hundred and eighty five dollars and twenty five cents. That's if you bought them by list price, individually, with an average value of $1.95, 14 rookie cards in that set, uh, a set, a complete set itself will run you buck twenty-five to about $200, uh, again, we didn't have, um, certainly didn't have the option to buy a factory set, so uh, these will be hand collated sets, 125 to $200, if that is your jam, uh, let's talk about, we're going to head into the judgment zone here, um, yeah, I judge, and that's okay because uh, I judge myself more than I judge everybody else, right? So the good, the bad, and the ugly here in the judgment zone. Uh, so a couple of cool cards there. Tony Esposito's card, Black Hawks." I mean, the Black Hawk is pretty cool, but he's got that um, you know, that Jason mask on from Friday the 13th that everybody had in the '70s. A lot of fun wearing those. Um, there's a really cool shot of uh, Gary Unger, who was your All-Star Game MVP that year, I believe, of a uh, really artistic shot where the cameraman is down on the ice uh, behind the puck, and Gary Unger's coming by and swooping that puck up. So uh, I really appreciate that, especially in those times. I uh, it had to have been a difficult shot to capture, so kudos to whomever uh, planned and executed that. And then you have your uh, quarterfinals uh I guess it's the Flyers versus the North Stars and the goalie is on his knees lunging for the puck. And i will be damned if the guy's not wearing a mask, which is crazy. So, uh, still had a guy there not wearing a mask. Um, there were still guys in the league, most guys not wearing helmets. Uh, I believe if I go back to, uh, the front front of cards here, um, one thing that stuck out at me is Fran Huck from the Blues wearing a helmet. Um, otherwise, it was pretty pretty hard to find a one of these cats wearing helmets. They're Canadians. They're tough, man. You know, don't want to go down to a dark alley running a bunch of those guys. Uh, all right, back to our good, bad, and ugly. Uh, bad now. All right, let's talk about the bad. I, I question these cards here. I, I ha- I've shown six cards here where there's players. There's an uh, a plethora of players here, and I have no idea who the card is for. Um, first card is Andre, uh, let me see if I get Andre Boudras. I think that's what his name is. Boudrias. there's I see six players there. I have no idea which one he is. Billy Harris from the Islanders. I see a couple Islanders there, I think I don't know. Uh, Jocelyn uh, Gouvermont uh, from the Canucks don't know what he's doing he's listed as a defenseman and I see a goalie and I see four other chaps running around Uh Dave Keon from the Maple Leafs is one of one two three four five six people six players plus a referee in that in that shot uh, Phil Roberto left wing from the Blues I believe he is fighting or he's get, getting fought so there's a picture of uh, a bare knuckled gentleman beating up on somebody else with a referee number referee number 31 kind of intervening And Orland Kutenbach from the Canucks center. Uh, Not sure which one he is. There's a guy completely laid out on his butt. uh, And there's three guys above him, what looks like fighting for the puck. So, Tops, I don't know what you were thinking, man. You, you, You know... You have to be hardcore to, to really understand who these players are that they're trying to depict. So check that out if you can, man. It's really there's some confusing things. It's I guess these are Ray Guy rookie cards, right? So if you look at Ray Guy's rookie card, I don't even know if you can see Ray Guy in the picture. So Tops uh, gave you some kudos on that last one with that, with that uh, Gary Unger, but then you just come up with this stuff and have no idea what I'm looking at. All right, the ugly. This is true judgment right here, okay? um again it's a set full of drunk uncles so i don't know if i can single any of them out but i'm gonna i'm gonna do something here so jacques richard i uh, don't know whether he's related to Andre richard but i i would bet my life that that is actually Mo- michael bolton in an atlanta flames uniform so michael bolton uh kudos to you from hanging up your skates and and you know getting right into the crooning business great job uh dave dryden is he related to ken dryden i don't know i don't care but i will tell you that he looks like he's from the planet of the apes uh it's it's like a pete rose haircut with a andy Etchabaron face i don't know what's going on there but he's he looks uh charlton heston it looks like he's fighting charlton heston off uh california golden seals uh you know you If you guys know anything about me, you know that I hate the Cubs team cards from the 1970s, and the Golden Seals kind of mailed this one in with a bunch of headshots. And not only that, but there's only uh, 14 or – let me do some quick math here. 13 players depicted in these headshots, and 12 of them are facing one way, and uh, and there's one facing a completely different way. So not only does it bother me, but that tiny bit of OCD there, like why couldn't we get that? 13th guy reverses negative so he's facing the other way don't know what tops is just messing with us again and then you have mike corrigan who i guess uh drunk step uncle cousin you know i don't know but looks a little goofy there between his hair his smile and his uh fabulous los angeles kings uh jersey So that's it. That's my trip through the 73-74 Topps hockey set. Mad respect for players of that era for playing without masks, for playing without caring what they look like apparently, and um, for some of the ones, I guess, that were in the witness protection program and didn't want to be identified on their cards. So when it was time for them to get their picture taken, they grabbed five of their friends and crowded in. So, uh, anyway, thanks for listening to That 70s Card Show. I can, again, be reached at uh, That 70s Card Show on gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at 70s Card, on YouTube at That 70s Card Show. Um, Really looking forward to getting home. Thank you for letting me bore you with my stories and my opinions. Um, If you're listening on the podcast, you are being played out by Mango Safari, which is my nephew Ryan's band, a very talented young man, That's about it. Listen, enjoy collecting and enjoy your collection, and I'll see you guys very soon. Thank you so much. Have a great week.